Hello, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Rico, and this is the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast for October 29th, 2006. This will be uh, show 83. Happy almost Halloween to everyone. This is going to be uh, a nice show. Going to get back to the basics a little bit. Going to do a full commentary review on a TOS original series Star Trek episode along with a couple other goodies in, in between. So let's get going. Hello everyone and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. Again, welcome to the show, everyone. This is Rico, of course, your host for Treks in Sci-Fi, the podcast for Star Trek, Star Wars, science fiction fans, fantasy lovers, all that. Uh, as usual, we're here on a Sunday morning, a late Sunday morning, although I've lost track of the time. We did that little daylight savings time switch back this morning, so it's about 10 o'clock or so where I'm starting to record this. I may sound a little hoarse, just a tiny bit. Uh, I don't know. The last few days I've been feeling like I've been fighting off some kind of a cold or a sickness. might sound a little more hoarse or nasally uh, this week on the podcast, and if I do, I apologize. I don't feel that bad, but uh, something. I hope uh, I'm, I pretty much uh, ate a bunch of grapefruit, drank a couple of glasses of orange juice this morning, popped some vitamin C, so uh, I'm, uh, I'm loaded up on uh, <laughs> vitamin C right now, so... Anyway, everyone, hopefully this uh, this podcast will go well. Like I said at the beginning, uh, we're going to get back to uh, sort of the the basics and and, and the uh, the heart of this podcast, which is going to be crud the phone. Hang on, please. Sorry about the interruption there. That was just uh, my son calling from Michigan State and. Uh, been trying to get uh, uh, some things working better on his laptop up there, and he always calls me for uh, Dad's good old tech support. Uh, hey, let's uh, let's move on to some Star Trek uh, news and information. Just a couple little tidbits. This is mostly on the gaming front. It looks like the uh, the Star Trek Legacy game that's coming out for uh, Xbox 360 and other systems is going to be delayed a couple of weeks. I think it was supposed to come out early November. Now it's more like uh, mid to uh, late November. So uh, that that game is uh, getting some pretty good early reviews, though. That's the game that they're using all the voices from the original, uh, all the captain voices from all the different Star Trek series in the game, and it looks it looks pretty cool. And uh, since we have an Xbox 360, I'll definitely be picking that up. I've heard some mixed things about the uh, the other game for the handheld, the PSP, and the uh, Nintendo DS Lite game. That's the uh, the I think it's called Tactical Assault, is what it is. Heard some good and bad with that. Uh, I haven't picked that up yet. I have a my son has a PSP and I have a, a Nintendo DS a Lite and still probably pick it up sometime uh, just to check it out since it's uh, you know one of the uh, newest Star Trek games out there and we haven't had a good Star Trek game uh, for gaming to play in in a while so uh, we'll have to check those out. 
Okay, first thing I wanted to uh, first thing I want to play here for you is a book review. This is Joby from the forums doing a book review about a uh, a book on uh, the character of Doctor McCoy, and I'll let Joby take it away. And after his review, I'll come back for a second, and then we'll get into the episode commentary, full episode commentary on Assignment Earth from TOS. So here's Joby and his book review. Greetings, Trex and Sci-Fi podcast listeners. This is Joby Drone from the Trex and Sci-Fi forums. I'm here today to do another mini book review for you. The book I'd like to talk about is called Crucible McCoy, Provenance of Shadows by David R. George III. This is a recent paperback release. Um, uh, it's the first in a series of three books. The second book is going to focus on Spock. It's released next month in November. And the third book is going to be released in 2007 and focuses on Kirk. This book tells you pretty much everything you ever wanted to know about Dr. McCoy, about his loves, his life, his past, and his future. And um, it's a long book. It's about 625 pages. Uh, If I were to give it a rating on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd probably say about a 7.5. I enjoyed this book, but it took me a while to really get hooked and get into it. I'll tell you exactly why. This book focuses on, it covers two parallel storylines. It starts off with the episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. And from there, it branches off into two parallel storylines. The first being what occurs after Dr. McCoy alters the timeline and becomes stuck in the past. And it covers in great detail what happens to him after he alters the timeline and is unable to be saved by Kirk and Spock. The second storyline covers a lot of episodes that we recognize from the original series, the movies, and it um, basically follows Dr. McCoy's life from the time of the episode The City on the Edge of Forever until the end of his life and covers, you know, what happens after... um, the timeline is restored and Kirk and Spock allow Edith Keeler to die. Um, This is one of the problems I have with the book. It really uh, takes a long time before you can actually figure out what the heck is going on and why there are two parallel timelines and it's really until the last hundred pages that things get moving and you see what the author is going for here. Once you do figure things out, I think it's pretty satisfying, and you find out really a lot of what motivates Dr. McCoy. Uh, If you love the character like I do, and like probably most of us do, if we're listening to this podcast, then you are going to enjoy this book. Um, The problem I have is that because there's two parallel storylines going on at the same time, when one gets really interesting, it shifts to the second, and you kind of want the one that you're reading currently to go on, and then you got to kind of get back involved in the second storyline. So there's some structural difficulties that I have that are kind of hard to deal with. But if you plug through it, it becomes worthwhile. And like I said, the last 100 pages really um, pay off at the end. 
and I'm really looking forward. I'm definitely going to read the sequel next month, uh, focusing on Spock. I'm really looking forward to that, and the third uh, that focuses on Kirk. And it seems like, uh, based on the you know previews of the next books, that there's going to be a similar kind of structure, uh, starting with the city on the edge of forever and then moving on from there. So I am looking forward to it. I think it's a good idea. And uh, I think it's something that fans of the original series are really going to enjoy. So that's my review. Uh, pick this up. It's seven ninety nine, and it's available in all your major bookstores. Um, so back to you, Rico. Thanks for this opportunity. And I'll talk to you all again soon. Take care. Bye now. Well, thanks a lot, Joby. I'll have to take a look uh, for those uh, three books, uh, the McCoy one out now, and then Spock and Kirk. Uh, you know, there was, uh, of course, a lot of things that were never shown in the series or movies with these characters, and I think it'd be real interesting to see, you know, how they uh, round it all out. You know, you obviously saw Dr. McCoy as a very old man at the very beginning uh, in the pilot episode of The Next Generation, so I'd be real curious to to pick up that book, the McCoy uh book you just reviewed Joby and see how they filled in the gaps you know the the 70 or so years there uh, that they didn't really ever uh, either show on uh, a TV show or in the movies so that's real interesting and I appreciate uh, your review Joby okay without any further ado I'm going to get into and start playing now the uh, full episode of Assignment Earth this episode is from the second season of Star Trek and I'll be talking about it as we go so let's get it started here is Assignment Earth from the original Star Trek series Season 2. Captain's log. Using the light speed breakaway factor, the Enterprise has moved back through time to the 20th century. We are now in extended orbit around Earth, using our ship's deflector shields to remain unobserved. Our mission? Historical research. We are monitoring Earth communications to find out how our planet survived desperate problems in the year 1968. Alert status. This is one of the first uh, times the Enterprise purposely went back in time to observe observe the past. Transporter room, Captain. Kirk here, what's happening? It appears we have accidentally intercepted someone's transporter beam, Captain. It's incredibly powerful. That's impossible. 20th century had no such Captain, something is beaming aboard this vessel. I'll be right there. I like how Spock just now says, well, at least 1,000 light years away. No transporter beam can reach that far, not even in our century. Something's shaking us apart. Well, Spock just calmly says, even though it is impossible, it is happening. Look, it's wide open. So it's 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 obviously this is some alien technology. Uh, a transporter beam that's that's cutting across a thousand light years is is vastly more powerful and, and way beyond the technology right. of the Enterprise. Something is beaming aboard.
Space, the final frontier. So while the uh, opening uh, credits and theme play, to give you a little bit of background, you know, Assignment Earth, this was the... This was the last episode, last episode of the second season of Star Trek. It was uh, written by, uh, mainly by Art Wallace with uh, some, uh, also writing in it by Gene Roddenberry. This was directed by Mark Daniels, who directed a lot of uh, the original series episodes. The big thing about this episode that I thought would be interesting to look at was that Assignment Earth was originally written as a... uh, pilot episode not even involving any of the Star Trek characters for a a sort of another science fiction half hour science fiction show for the network at the time Uh, it was actually written uh, way back originally as this pilot episode in the first season of Star Trek but didn't really get picked up to be filmed as a pilot so later on they turned it into a Star Trek episode let's go back to the show now Why have you intercepted me? Security. Security. Transporter room on the double. On our way, sir. So you've got this guy in the transporter room. Uh, looks like a. Please identify yourselves. Got this a is suit, the United Spaceship Enterprise. I'm Captain Kirk. Commanding. Yes, I heard him, Isis. We're on board a space vessel. From what planet? Earth. That's impossible. In this time period, there weren't... Humans were the Vulcan. You... You're from the future, Captain. You're going to have to beam me down to Earth immediately. Faces on stop. Careful, Isis. Captain Kirk. My name is Gary Seven. I am a human being from the 20th century. I was on my way... Humans of the 20th century do not go beaming around the galaxy, Mr. Seven. I've been living on another planet far more advanced. I was beaming to Earth when you intercepted me. The location of that planet? I wish their existence kept secret. Even in your time, it will remain unknown. It's impossible to hide a whole planet. It's impossible for you, not for them. Captain Kirk, I am of this time period. You are not. You interfere with me, with what I have to do down there. And you'll change history. You'll destroy the Earth. And probably yourselves, too. If what he says is true, Captain, every second we delay him could be dangerous. And if he's lying... This is Robert Lance. This is the most critical period in Earth's history. The planet I'm from wants to help Earth survive. What if it turns out you're an invading alien from the future? Does a really good job in this role. I really like, uh, difficult decision, like his, uh, his take on Gary Seven. Can't beam you down without further proof, one way or the other. Security confinement. This way, please. Big Bay. McCoy. <laughs> So Gary Seven tried to get out. Uh, Jim, what's going on? Even down there? Spock's uh, nerve oh. pinch wouldn't stop him. Check the prisoner you'll find in security confinement. On a medical analysis, fast. Is he or isn't he human? 
Jones Log Supplemental. A man in a 20th century business suit, what is he? Not even Spock's Vulcan neck pinch could stop him. Without our phasers, he would have overpowered all five of us. I find it difficult to believe the mysterious Mr. Seven can be human. And yet, suppose he is. What do you make of the cat, Mr. Spock? Quite a lovely animal, Captain. I find myself strangely drawn to it. Ah, uh, Spock's a cat captain. person. All science, engineering, and supervisory personnel lock into the briefing room. Our next decision can be of enormous consequence, not only to us, but to Earth's entire future. You've already been given as much information as we have. Please break in at any time with analysis of that information. Navigation report. We have analyzed the direction of his beams, sir. Our star maps show no habitable planets in that area of the galaxy. He did say his planet was hidden, Captain. Engineering. Still unable to analyze it, sir. It was so powerful it fused most of our recording circuits. Could have brought them back through great distances. Could have brought them back through time. There's no way for us to know. Mr. Spock, historical report. Current Earth crises would fill a tape bank, Captain. There will be an important assassination today. An equally dangerous government coup in Asia. And this could be highly critical. The launching of an orbital nuclear warhead platform by the United States, countering a similar launch by other powers. Weren't orbital nuclear devices one of this era's greatest problems? Most definitely. Once the sky was full of orbiting H-bombs, the slightest mistake could have brought one down by accident, setting off a nuclear holocaust. So again, uh, Star Trek here is really tying into the era that it was first filmed in, 1968, Cold War. Uh, you know, a lot of tensions in the world, and acknowledged. You know, the Enterprise was sent back to sort of study how they sort of got along and survived through all these difficult times. And a key uh, component in this that they find out throughout this episode is, well, maybe we had a little help. Maybe we had a little help from some alien uh, aliens out there that grabbed some humans and placed them on Earth as agents, and Gary Seven is one of those agents, which was the whole premise and idea for the the spin-off series, or the, not really spin-off, but new sci-fi series they were trying to get on the air. Now Gary's in the, uh, in the break, but not for long. Tired, go to sleep. He's got a, uh, a little pen device with him called a servo, which is very cool and has a lot of different functions. Well, I must admit, the sense of readings seem too good. Human readings, yes, but not a single physical flaw. Totally perfect body. If an alien needed a body... He might be inclined to prepare a perfect one, Captain. But then again, he may be telling the truth. Gentlemen, I need proof. All you're telling me is that on the one hand he may be lying, and on the other... Security alert. All decks alert. Prisoner has escaped. All decks alert. This is the captain. Inform us. Mr. Captain, transporter circuit shows someone preparing to beam down. Try to override. Shut it off. So the cat shows up, too, in the transporter room. Gary Seven's working the controls, trying to get off the ship. I know ISIS will really gone before they get here. I like how easily he got out of the brig and uh, is getting off the Enterprise. 
course, they're too late. Gary's slipped away. Now they're shifting to a, a skyline view of a city. And uh, this is going to be an interior of Gary Seven's apartment. Uh, large sort of wall, uh, almost like looking like a safe that opens up, and inside of it there's sort of a, a cloud that appears, and that's where Gary Seven beams into. back to the uh, servo I've got a uh, I've got a, actually a, a fan-made replica of that uh, little pen device that he uses in this episode and I'll, right, Isis, it is primitive. I'll talk a little bit about it at the end of this uh, episode and put some photos up this week Incredible in the, the podcast notes like it's a neat little item uh, it's 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 pretty cool and it's used uh, like I said in a variety of ways by Gary seven in this episode This is the typical uh, kind of apartment you'd see in this era on Earth, uh, except, of course, for all the swing-out walls. That's my locations of agents 201 and 347. Now he's got a computer that he's talking to. Simply check my voice pattern. You'll find me listed as Supervisor 194, codename Gary 7. Computer, I am a class one supervisor. You are ordered to override previous instructions and answer my question. I am a beta five computer capable of analytical decisions. Please confirm identity as supervisor by describing nature of agents and mission here. Computer, I caution you, I have little love for beta five snobbery. Override. All right. Agents are male and female, descendants of human ancestors taken from Earth approximately 6,000 years ago. They're the product of generations of training for this mission. Problem. Earth technology and science has progressed faster than political and social knowledge. Purpose of mission? To prevent Earth civilization from destroying itself before it can mature into a peaceful society. Yeah, it's one of... Uh... One of the overriding themes of Star Trek with Gene Roddenberry in the original series was, you know, that, that our technology and what we can do scientifically is always sort of accelerated faster than our wisdom. I am aware of proper search procedures, 194. So that, uh, you know, this is definitely a take on, on what Gene was always trying to say about humanity and the fact that we have to, you know get the wisdom in order to use these things properly. If we beam down, can you compare our and I think that the in, even in the year 2006 is still a lot the case. You know, we have history. vast technology that, that can do uh, pretty destructive things. It's a delicate situation sometimes out there. Stand by to beam us down. In response to nuclear warhead placed in suborbit by other major power... United States today launching suborbital platform with multi-warhead capacity purpose to maintain balance of power. It's the same kind of nonsense that almost destroyed planet Omicron 4. Analysis correct. Earth situation similar. 
Mission of Agents 201 and 347. Set malfunction on United States rocket. Progress of mission. Has the rocket been set to malfunction? Negative. No progress. One thing when I was doing a little background on this exactly one hour, minutes, was the original idea for the, the half hour show was, was that there was another competing alien race that was going to be using um, the disguise of Earthmen on, on the planet to try to change Earth's history to do bad things. And Gary Seven and, and his uh, you know his assistant and, and a few others would try to sort of combat them and stop them from uh, messing up with Earth history. Not just in this case where Gary's just basically trying to make things go smoothly, Scotty, no accidents to happen. Lock in on our position. Lead us to him. Locked in. Proceed 195 degrees through. Now you've got Kirk and Spock in sort of civilian 1960s attire on Earth trying to track uh, where Gary Seven is. It's pretty cool, of course. They're both in trench coats. Spock's got a little cap on to hide his ears. Now the computer is printing out sort of a, it has sort of a replicator function. And it's printing out some identification, CIA uh, clearance and things for uh, Gary Seven so he can get onto uh, the launch base to to, uh, to help the, uh, the problem out with this uh, missile launch that they're doing. Now you have the character of Roberta Lincoln coming into the scene, played by uh, a very young uh, Terry Garr, who's got the strangest sort of orange and purple outfit on, very uh, 1960s looking. Where have you been? Uh, oh, the subway got stalled. Where have you been for the past three days? Now, wait a minute. Why should I tell you? Who are you, anyway? Where's 347? With 348? 201. Code responses are not necessary. She adds a lot of life and a, and a lot of humor to this episode, which is a pretty serious Maybe episode. Maybe I just better call the police right now. Huh? Sit down. Who do you think you are? I said sit down. Okay. I'll say one thing for you. Play your role well. However, that is no longer necessary. I'm Supervisor 194, codename Gary Seven. I need a complete report. Report. Just a report. Everything you have done for the past three Earth days. Uh, everything I've done? Everything you've done. Oh, okay. So obviously Gary thinks this is one of the other agents, but uh, obviously she's not. Well, she's, she's got a regular-looking typewriter here. fingers. Well, how do you expect me to type with my nose? So she talks, and the typewriter types that? what she says. Now, what does that she sound like? Everything uh, I... One of those voice recognition computer programs out there it's almost? It's typing everything I'm seeing. Stop it. Stop it. I've tried a couple of Stop those, it. although they still don't have them perfected. But it's not too far away, I think, before you'll be talking to computers... Okay. Having that them, you quit. know, dictate it and yeah, have it type out what you're saying. I'm quitting right now. You're not acting, all right. Acting? I'm leaving. 
by. Hey! Hey! Tie in the computer. Scan unidentified female present. Roberta Lincoln, human, profession, secretary, employed huh. by 347 and 201. Description, age 20, 5 feet 7 inches, 120 pounds, hair presently tinted honey blonde, although behavior appears erratic, possesses high IQ, <laughs> birthmarks, hey. small mole on left shoulder, Somewhat larger star-shaped mark hey, on her... watch it. Okay, I'll bite. What is it? Yeah, it's pretty funny. She Lincoln. stopped it before it got uh, some information out that she didn't want. Miss Lincoln, um... What kind of work did your employers say they were doing here? Research for a new encyclopedia? Of course, if you do, you won't be helping your country. Unless you don't care about that. Sure, I care. What do you think I am? I don't know, Miss Lincoln, what you are. Not yet. All I know is that my incompetence has made you aware of some very secret devices that are vital to the security of this nation. Hmm. Well, what are you guys around here, anyway? FBI? Or some kind of government agents, huh? Very groovy. Well, thank you, I love you. Now, well, you don't hear that too much anymore. Right in. He just showed her his uh, CIA credentials. It's a train cat. Just like uh, guard dogs, that kind of thing. Yeah? Oh, don't let anybody in here. I'll be busy. Okay. Scotty, triangulate on this location. Correlated. Readings indicate a greater altitude. Approximately 30 meters higher, sir. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt's just flipping open his cell phone there on the, on the planet. It's, it's funny to see that, uh, how much it's so common these days, you know, walking down the street with people with their phones Occurrence. out. Automobile accident. Location, Highway 949. Ten miles north of McKinley Rocket Base. Agents 347 and 201 were killed instantly. That just doesn't make sense. For them to die in something as useless as a, an automobile accident. Are the facts verified? Verified. Descriptions of bodies are... So these other agents that were there on the planet trying to... Uh take care of things. And Gary Sevens just found out that they um, they got killed in a car accident. Go ahead, Scotty. Like he said, is, Proceed you know, five meters, two not even really trying to do through. what they were doing, but but just something tragic like that happening. Now he's got to finish things, finish the job. Computer off. So Kirk and Spock have found their way to Gary Seven's apartment. 
He's, uh, he heard the doorbell. Where's Mr. Seven? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, you guys can't Where's come Mr. in here. Where's Mr. Seven? Uh, you can't come in here. Now get out. What do you think you're doing? This is a government office. You can't come in here. Either Mr. one of you can come in here. This is against the government. What do you think you're doing? You walk in the... Send the police. 811 East 68th Street, apartment 12B. Give me the phone. Oh, get your hands off of me, you big jerk. What do you think you are? Please go on. What do you think you're doing, you big jerk? That's a big idea. Mr. Seven, Mr. So Roberta, of course, is trying to protect him. Kirk and Spock got their hands full. And... Get your hands off of me, Irene! Now, of course, she gets the hat off Spock. What are you? Kirk phases the door open. And Gary's managed to uh, transport and slip away. I really like the addition of the cat in this episode. You know, this cat is this other kind of shapeshifter alien, which you sort of see uh, that happen later in the episode. But it's 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 very uh, interesting that he's always you know he, he transported out. He's got this cat carrying around. Uh, it is now 60 minutes to T minus 60 and counting. There's of course a lot of. Uh, NASA footage that was used in this episode, some stock footage here of, of the uh, the base with the rocket ready to launch. He unfortunately left the plans to the uh, the base that he's visiting there, the rocket launch, McKinley Base, uh, on the desk. Seven. I'm warning you, I've already called the police. Plans to McKinley Rocket Base. There it is, Charlie. Oh, one of the guys, one of the officers here that shows up Open is up there, uh, the same guy who played uh, Finnegan in Shore Leave. Same actor. Open up and there's a place. His name is uh, Bruce Last Mars. Last will be moving. Spock in here. Spock! Get in Now, Scotty, what's going on here? So, Kirk and uh, Spock are trying to slip away, beam out. Scotty's grabbed him, but he also grabbed the two... Uh, the two officers, policemen. Reverse and energize. Charlie. And Spock, or I'm sorry, Kirk just told Scotty to uh, beam him right back down to the to uh, the, the apartment. Hopefully, they'll think that was just some uh, you know bad dream or whatever. But now we're at the uh, rocket base. Shot of uh, mission control. Attention. It is now 50 minutes to launch. T minus 50 and counting. All systems clear. All systems clear. Standing by for inspection of launch pad. Oh, Scotty, uh, James Doohan does the voice of the the, the Cape Kennedy uh, radio voice in this. Or I should say, uh, Rocket Base McKinley. You. Speak to you a moment? Yeah, sure, sir. There it is. So at least one security guy's wondering what this guy's doing here with a cat walking around uh, the base. I'll have to confirm this, Colonel. All right. Oh, uh, just put the cat down. Keep your hands at your side. All right. 
Give me security. Identification check. Be careful, lasses. Don't get stepped on. Uh, yeah, security? Uh, security, this is, uh, Sergeant Lipton, and we get all straightened out down here. All right, thank you very much. Goodbye. So Gary just, uh, zapped him with his servo. All right, Sergeant. He's got this big grin on now his let's face. let's just turn around and around. Sort of, I We're going to walk this way. Puts him in a nice, happy place. You just sit right down right there and have a little nap. Attention. It would be real interesting if this uh, this had caught on and, and been made into a regular TV series with uh, Gary and Roberta trying to fix certain things and problems in the past. Heading for the gantry. Sound alert. satellite in orbit below us. If I could bounce off it, I could get some good views. I got it. So now they're uh, they're trying to find Gary 7. They're, they've got uh, some images of the base and using their scanners and sensors, the Enterprise is trying to locate if he is down there. I could get even closer. Bottom, I could lock on and beam him up. Chances are he's out of sight, inside the rocket gantry or at one of the control centers. Launch is in 40 minutes. Stand by to beam us down. Continue visual scan. Attention. Stand by for launch area quickly. Watch, watching a lot of this uh, old mission control footage is, uh, reminds me of watching some of the early space launches, the moon landings. Pretty exciting, uh, pretty exciting times. Hi, Jack. Mr. Cromwell? Now, a couple of guys are doing sort of a last-minute inspection at the at the base of the, of the rocket to launch director at Gantry, beginning final check. Gary 7 and, and good old Isis the cat have uh, slipped out to the rocket launch pad in the trunk of one of the cars. And this this episode is uh, a lot different than, of course, a lot of the other Star Trek episodes, being that it was trying to set up this idea of a, a new TV series. Keep in mind, at the end of the second season of Star Trek, that the ratings had not Lock been very good, top, and there was the good possibility that Trek wouldn't be back for season three, except the, one of the th- historical things that happened there was the huge letter-writing campaign to bring it back for a, a third season. 
So one of the ideas here was that, well, if we can't bring Star Trek back or if Star Trek doesn't make it back, maybe we can do this spin-off type show with Gary Seven and his adventures on Earth and all that. Now Gary's taking uh, an elevator up to the top of the uh, the rocket uh, launch pad to uh, to get. He's got to get access to the the rocket controls. He's trying to uh, to prevent a big uh, mistake here. Basically, or there's a problem that's going to happen with this rocket. He's trying to stop what happens. Now Kirk and uh, Kirk and Spock Three. beam down. One move and you've both had it. Unfortunately, the guy who Gary had just sort of knocked out and, and catches them right then. Now Scotty's still back up in the Enterprise, trying to find where Gary is, taking different views and shots of the launch pad. not to tell anybody anything. He's safe. And you're safe, my little green friend. Same to you. Oh. Now, this is Roberta back at Gary Seven's apartment. She's uh, accidentally discovered Gary's sort of hidden transporter uh, system. Opened up at least the main door to it. Spock uh, in custody, their phasers, communicators only this once. laying on the uh, counter while the guy's sort of waving the phaser at, at them and they're kind of looking a little nervous. No sign of trouble on my boards. Launch director confirmed status, all systems. Control to launch director confirming. Status board indicates all is well. Space flight conditions measure out as planned. Continue countdown. No countdown delay. Repeat, no delay. All systems are green and go. All systems are go. D minus 14 and counting. Yeah. You are nervous, aren't you, Dom? 
All right. I like that line, you know, they, as fast as I can. they sort of talk back and forth to Isis and Gary Seven, except she says meow there at one point, and he says that it's a good line where, meow, you are nervous, aren't you? T-minus 13 minutes and counting. Status board looks good. Stages look good. All systems go. Status board says go. Good uh, classic Star Trek music there as Gary's doing his work on the rocket. Security, send two men up here right away. Now, Scotty's managed to uh, find Gary Seven at the uh, at the very top of the rocket uh, launch pad. Roberta's still working on Gary's little transporter room. Now, somehow she's managed to get the main big door open. I'm going to beam him up. And Scotty's locking onto a Gary Seven since he knows where he's at and trying to beam him out of there. And this is back. Roberta's working her controls, which uh, will swoop in and, and pull Gary Seven out of the Enterprise's transporter beam and pull him back to his apartment. I had him, and something yanked him away. I wasn't finished. I'm sorry, I just touched my button right there and then wow. Must have intercepted the Enterprise trying to beam me on board. Computer on. Lock in the launch site scan. One minute to launch. Oh my gosh. Captain's log supplemental. Spock and I in custody. Even if we talked, they wouldn't believe us. We're powerless to stop Mr. Seven or prevent the launch, or even be certain if we should. I have never felt so helpless. 30 seconds to launch. Look, uh, hey, I mean, like, uh, not even the CIA could do all this. T minus 20 seconds. Mark. Stages reporting ready for launch. Automatic sequence is on. She's completely automatic now. 15 seconds to launch. Yeah, so Gary Seven's got a picture of the rocket launch up. Roberta's got her mouth hanging open. And Kirk and Spock in custody still. So things are not looking so good. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two.
but of course it's not quite as good as they hope or think. Altitude 1,000 feet. All good. All is planned. Trajectory nominal. Still take over the rocket as planned. Rocket control possible with Exiva circuits operated manually. Exiva on manual. So Robert is starting to figure out what he's doing here. He's trying to take control of this rocket, and she's a little concerned Visual about off. that. Doesn't seem like it's uh, you know something that's on the up and up. Please don't try to leave. You'll find all the doors locked. She just tried to call out on the phone, trying to do something, report him, and he zapped uh, the phone line with his servo pen thing again. Are you jealous, Isaac? It's most unbecoming. Rocket altitude now 100 miles. Standing by to begin malfunction as planned. Begin malfunction at third stage. Setting now 90.08. 90.08. Second stage ready to detach. Visual on. Second stage detaching. Third stage igniting. Begin malfunction. Take it off course. Malfunction setting correct. Rocket bearing from Some cool visuals course. here. You know, they're showing the rocket stages on his, uh, his computer screen. Breaking away, Gary said he's trying to take fast. control. What is it? Malfunction. Rocket is deviating from program flight path. Safety, stand by to destruct. Continuing deviation from flight path. Repeat, deviation confirmed and increasing. Telemetry control fast. All systems tie in. All systems tie in. Report. Arm the warhead. Now they're finding out, you know, that they can't uh, maintain control of the rocket. It's going off course. Scott here. Sensor shows that the rocket has armed itself, Mr. Scott. Computers indicate an impact somewhere in the heart of the Euro-Asian continent. We've still time to enter close orbit and destroy it with our phasers, sir. They're beginning to worry down on Earth, Mr. Scott. I'm getting military alerts from the major powers. I got to risk calling the captain. Lieutenant Uhura, open a channel. Aye, aye. Warhead status confirmed. She's armed herself somehow. Repeat, this bird is armed. The warhead's alive. Yeah, that's a problem. All boards report status. Stand by on destruct. Stand by to transmit destruct signal. Could the warhead arm itself? I don't know. You can destroy it, of course. You can't. We gotta lay an H-bomb on somebody somewhere. Ready on destruct signal. Destruct. Transmit destruct signal. Transmit destruct signal. 
get back over there. Roberta just clunked Gary Seven over the head with uh, Look, I'm sorry. sort of a box he had I'm on his like desk. Like you asked me, I do care about my country, and you can't be CIA. Orbital platform separating. Hold it. Computer rocket status. Hold it, Mr. Seven. I'm telling you, you threw monkeying around with my country's rocket. Your head is still on. Six minutes to impact. Hold, just don't move. You've done enough already. You've got to let me finish what I've started, or in six minutes, World War III begins. Flight path continuing on target. Destruct is fouled up somehow. Flight control, she's coming down fully armed. She'll go off on impact. What? Try again. Boost the signal. Boosting signal. Boosting signal. So the, uh, yeah, mission control, they've lost control of this rocket. Flight control, we Here have boosted Roberta is stopping what he's trying to do, and Kirk and Spock Captain, can you read me? I was beaming up Mr. Seven, and something yanked him away from me. Hello? Hello, come in. Yeah, who are you, Sergeant? It's operated from this dial here. We're getting no response. Make absolutely certain, check everything again. Tracking stations report no response. So managed to, uh, Spock managed to knock out the guard. Auxiliary check out flight control. She hasn't distracted herself. Repeat, destruct is not working. She's no one, of course, there. really notices because they're all distracted by what's going on with the rocket. Arm. She'll go off on impact. Bermuda ground station report. She's still up there. South Africa ground station reports no response on boosted destruct signal. Get me the president. Rocket descending and accelerating. Do you have further instructions, 194? Roberta, you've got to believe me. Look, a truly advanced planet wouldn't use force. They wouldn't come here in strange alien forms. The best of all possible methods would be to take human beings to their world, train them for generations until they're needed here. Mr. Seven, I want to believe you. I, I do. I mean, I know this world needs help. That's why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels, you know? We wonder if we're going to be alive when we're 30. Two minutes to impact. Hold it right there, Mr. Seven. Oh, no. Spock, you're the expert. Can you detonate the warhead from this computer? I can try, Captain. Altitude 550 miles. Captain, I want that warhead detonated, too. Unless I do it, at least 100 miles above ground, just barely in time, frighten them out of this arms race. Captain. Monitor show all major powers on full missile alert. Retaliatory strike ordered on warhead Altitude impact. 450 miles. Spock. I can estimate some of this, Captain. But without more time. Captain, he can only guess. Will you please let me do my job? I don't know what your job is. You may set those controls so we can't detonate that warhead. Listen, you. Get away from him. Roberta, be careful. Servo set to kill. They're only seconds. I'll need time to set it. Please, he's telling the truth. Now, this is why Kirk gets paid the big bucks. 55 seconds to impact. Spock, if you can't handle it, I'm going to have to trust him. It is difficult to know which is best, Captain. Without facts, 
The decision cannot be made logically. You must rely on your human intuition. Now, Roberta just saw a woman in the form of uh, so everything happened exactly ISIS the way was, was on the couch. To. She changed into this beautiful, dark-haired woman. Show that it resulted in a new and stronger international agreement against the use of such weapons. Like this part. Would you mind telling me who that is? That, Miss Lincoln, is simply my cat. Your cat? That's pretty funny. Yeah, the idea with the TV show was that ISIS was this shape shapeshifter what else do would be able to help Gary show? Seven out on his different missions. I'm afraid we can't reveal everything we know, Mr. Seven. Captain, we could say that Mr. Seven and Miss Lincoln have some interesting experiences in store for them. Yes, I think we could say that. Two to beam up, Scotty. Live long and prosper, Mr. Seven. The same to you, Miss Lincoln. Energize. That's it. Uh, Assignment Earth, a real different kind of Star Trek episode from uh, the very end of the second season of the original series run. I enjoy this one a lot. One of my, uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I guess, one of my favorites, different than a lot of the other episodes. You get to see uh, some different aspects of, uh, you know, Star Trek and, and how Kirk and Spock have to uh, interact with the past and and the enterprise going back in in time appropriately to the time they were being filmed in this episode but a real good uh, fun time i'm gonna come back and do a, a quick little talk about that servo uh, prop that i have and we'll we'll sort of wrap up the show here in a second okay the um the little quick prop replica review i wanted to do before we finish up the podcast for this week is uh, it's made by a, a fan who does some really nice work. Uh, got hooked up with him on the Replica Prop Forum. 
which I've talked about a couple times on the podcast before. This is, of course, an aluminum uh, replica. It's a, a nice machined aluminum replica of Gary Seven's servo from the episode assignment, Earth. It has the dials. It has the, the slide on it that when you pull it down, the little two antennae kind of things pop out with the little balls on the end of them. Again, that, there'll be some pictures of this up in the collection gallery on my website. Also, uh, some some in the podcast notes for this week. But it's a neat little item. Very well done. Uh, very uh, much to scale, one-to-one scale with the, the props as seen on the episode. Just a neat little piece, something that's not generally... Uh, out there and available and was never really made in production by anyone yet this uh i got this maybe about a year or two ago and it's a it's a nice little item to have in the collection i like some of the more unusual things from the original star trek series as prop replicas uh, there's a couple things i'm still working on getting uh trying to get a uh, one of the uh the pads that they use on the original series those black pads that kirk and everyone signs occasionally and a couple other items that uh, not uh, haven't really been made uh, on a, in a production manufacturing environment yet. So, so that's about uh, about all I have to say about that. Just a nice little item. Check the pictures out and uh, enjoy. Well, gang, that's going to do it for this week's ep- uh, episode or our show of Trucks in Sci-Fi. Again, I really appreciate everyone for downloading the podcast and listening. Oh, I want one last thing. I wanted to say thanks again to everyone that's been voting this month in October on Podcast Alley for my uh, show. I'm almost in uh, below 100 in the top 100 uh, of podcasts on there, which uh, is a good uh, thing. And it's definitely a lot more votes than I've gotten in the past. I think I got a lot more listeners, according to my statistics that I'm seeing on uh, from my website. And I really appreciate that. I think the show is doing well. Uh, join the forums if you feel like it. Everything, of course. Related to the podcast and the website and forums can be found at treksf.com or treksinsci-fi.com. Hey, and if you get a chance, send me a voicemail. Uh, It'll probably make it on the podcast. You can call that in at 206-88-TREX. Or you can always send me an email uh, with an audio comment uh, at uh, treksf at gmail.com. So that's Rico for signing off uh, for this uh, episode, and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye for now, everyone. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adams family. Their house is a museum. When people come to see them, they really are a scream, the Adams Family. Neat. Sweet. Petite. So get a witch's shawl on, a broomstick you can crawl on. We're gonna pay a call on, the Adams Family.